Chapter Seven of Jeremy and Hamlet by Hugh Walpole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seven: Young Baltimore. One. Jeremy was miserable. He was sitting on the high ground above the cricket field. The warm summer air wrapped him as though in a cloak. At his feet, the grass was bright, shrill green. Then, as it fell away, it grew darker, tumbling into purple shadow, as it curved to the flattened plateau. Behind him, the wood was like a wall of painted steel. Far away, the figures of the cricketers were white dolls moving against the bright red brick of the school buildings. One little white cloud, shaped like an elephant, like a rent torn in the blue canvas of the sky, hung motionless above his head and he watched this waiting for it to lengthen to fade into another shape formless until at last shredded into scraps of paper it vanished he watched the cloud and thought i'd like to roll him down the hill and never see him again he was thinking of young baltimore who was sitting close to him he was doing nothing but stare and let his mouth hang slackly open because he did nothing so often was one of the reasons why Jeremy hated him so deeply. Baltimore was not an attractive-looking boy. He was perhaps ten years of age, white-faced, sandy-haired, furtive-eyed, with two pimples on his forehead and one on his nose. He looked as though, quite recently, he had been rolled in the mud. And that was true. He had been from near at hand from the outskirts of the wood shrill cries could be heard singing stocky had a little lamb its fleece was white as snow and everywhere that stocky went that lamb was sure to go jeremy hearing these voices made a movement as though he would rise and pursue them then apparently realized his impotence and stayed where he was beasts said baltimore and suddenly broke into a miserable crying a wretched snivelling gasping wheeze jeremy looked at him with disgust you do cry the most awful lot he said if you didn't cry so much they wouldn't laugh at you he gloomily reflected over his fate the summer term only a week old that should have been the happiest of the year was already the worst that he had known at thompson's on his arrival full of health vigor and plans old thompson had taken him aside and said now cole i've something for you to do this term i want you to be kind to a new boy who has never been away from home before and knows nothing about school life i want you to be kind to him look after him see that no one treats him harshly make him feel that he is still at home you are getting one of the bigger boys here now, and you must look after the small ones. Jeremy was not displeased when he heard this. It gave him a sense of importance that he liked. Moreover, he had but recently read Tom Brown, and Tom, whom he greatly admired, had been approached in just this way about Arthur, and Arthur, although he had seemed tiresome at first, had developed very well had had a romantic illness and become a first-class cricketer his first vision of baltimore had been disappointing he had found him sitting on his play-box in the passage snivelling in just that unpleasant way that he had afterwards made so peculiarly his own he told jeremy that what he wanted to do was to go home to his mother at once 
that his name was percy and that he had been kicked on the leg twice you mustn't tell the others that your name's percy said jeremy or you'll never hear the last of it it appeared however from certain cries heard in the distance that baltimore had already done this jeremy wondered then why he had been selected for this especial duty he was not by any means one of the older boys in the school nor one of the more important he foresaw trouble baltimore had been informed that jeremy was to look after him mr thompson says you're to look after me he said and not let the boys kick me or take things out of my play-box and if they do i'm to tell mr thompson jeremy's cheeks paled with horror as he heard this declaration oh i say you must not do that he declared that would be sneaking you mustn't tell thompson things why mustn't i asked baltimore producing a large cake of chocolate from his play-box and proceeding to eat it uh, because because sneaking's worse than anything my mother said i was too said baltimore and you mustn't talk about your mother either said jeremy nor any of your people at home why mustn't i asked baltimore because they'll rag you if you do baltimore nodded his head in a determined manner i will if they kick me he said that evening was an unhappy one jeremy kept by the matron over some silly business connected with his underclothes came late into the dormitory to discover a naked baltimore being beaten with hairbrushes that was a difficult moment for him but he dealt with it in the traditional manner of school heroes he rushed into the midst of the gang rescued percy and challenged the room he was popular and known for a determined fighter so there was some laughter and jeering but baltimore was allowed to creep into his bed next morning the school understood that young stocky cole had a new protege and that it was that terrible new boy pimply percy jeremy's best friend riley minor spoke to him seriously about it i say stocky it isn't true that you've taken up with that awful new kid thompson says i've got to look after him jeremy explained but he's the worst of the lot riley complained disgustedly well i've got to anyway said jeremy shortly the sad part of it was that baltimore was by no means grateful for jeremy's championship you might have come in earlier he said i don't call that looking after me he now followed jeremy like a shadow a complaining snivelling whining shadow jeremy expostulated look here he said we needn't be together all the time if you're in trouble or anything you just give me a shout i'm sure to be round somewhere but baltimore shook his head that isn't what mr thompson said he remarked he said that you'd look after me but how can you look after me if you're not there he didn't mean us to be together the whole time said jeremy the thing was impossible he could keep his own small fry in order although the jeers and insults of those who had until this term been his admiring friends were very hard to bear but what was he to do for instance about cracky brown cracky was captain of the cricket thirteen years of age and going to eton next term he was one of three heroes allowed a study and he was fagged for by several of the new boys including baltimore 
he had already given young baltimore several for breaking a cup and saucer how could jeremy aged ten and a half and in the lower fourth go up to cracky and say look here brown you've got to leave baltimore alone and yet this was exactly what baltimore expected jeremy to do baltimore was a boy with one idea mr thompson said you were to see they didn't hit me he complained don't call him mr thompson urged jeremy nobody does here on the hillside jeremy moodily kicked the turf and watched the shredding cloud another week of this and he would be more laughed at than any other boy in the school had it been the winter term his prowess at football might have saved the situation but he had never been very good at cricket and never would be he hated it and was still in third game among all the kids and wasters it would all have been so much easier he reflected had he only found the baltimore possible as a companion but he thought that he had never loathed anyone so much as this snivelling pimply boy and something unregenerate in him rose triumphant in his breast when he saw baltimore kicked and this made it much more difficult for him to stop the kicking what was he to do about it appeal to thompson of course he could not he had promised to do his best and to do his best he must then the brilliant idea occurred to him that he would write to uncle samuel and ask his advice he did not like writing letters indeed he loathed it and his letters were blotched and illegible productions when they were finished but at least he could make the situation clear to uncle samuel and uncle samuel always knew the right thing to do at the thought of his uncle a great wave of homesickness swept over him he saw the town and the high street with all the familiar shops and the cathedral and his home with the dark hall and the hat-rack and hamlet running down the stairs barking and mary with her spectacles and uncle samuel's studio he was even for a moment sentimental over aunt amy he shook himself and the vision faded he would not be beaten by this thing he turned to baltimore i'm not going to have you following me everywhere he said i'm only looking after you because i promised thompson you can have your choice i'll leave you alone and let everyone kick you as much as they like and then you can go and sneak to thompson that won't help you a bit they'll only kick you all the more but if you behave decently and stop crying and come to me when you want anything i'll see that none of the smaller boys touch you if cracky wants to hit you i can't help it but he hits everybody so there's nothing in that now what is it to be his voice was so stern that baltimore stopped snivelling and stared at him in surprise all right he said i won't follow you everywhere jeremy got up you stay here till i've got to the bottom of the hill i'll sit next you at tea and see they don't take your grub he nodded and started away baltimore sat there staring with baleful eyes two then a strange thing occurred let the psychologist explain it as they may jeremy suddenly began to feel sorry for baltimore there is no doubt at all that the protective maternal sense is very strong in the male as well as the female breast jeremy had known it before even with his tiresome sister mary now baltimore did what he was told and only appeared at certain intervals 
jeremy found himself then often wondering what the kid was about whether anyone was chastising him and if so how the kid was taking it after the first week baltimore was left a great deal alone partly because of jeremy's championship and partly because he was himself so boring and pitiful that there was nothing to be done with him he developed very quickly into that well-known genus of small boy who is to be seen wandering about the playground all alone kicking small stones with his feet slouching his cap on the back of his head his hands deep in his trousers pocket a look of utter despair on his young face he was also the dirtiest boy that thompson's had ever seen and that is saying a great deal his fingers were dyed in ink his boots the laces hanging from them were caked in mud his collar was soiled and torn his hair matted and unbrushed jeremy himself often dirty nevertheless with an innate sense of cleanliness tried to clean him up but it was hopeless baltimore no longer snivelled he was now numb with misery he stared at jeremy as a wild animal caught by the leg in a trap might stare jeremy began to be very unhappy he no longer considered what the other boys might say neither their jeers nor their laughter one evening coming up to baltimore in the playground he caught his arm you can come and do prep with me tonight if you like he said baltimore continued to kick pebbles has anyone been going for you lately he asked baltimore shook his head i wish i was dead he replied this seemed melodramatic oh you'll be all right soon said jeremy but he could get nothing out of him some of the boy's loneliness seemed to penetrate his own spirit i say you can be as much with me as you like you know he remarked awkwardly baltimore nodded his head and moved away bitterly was jeremy to regret that word of his it was as though baltimore had laid a trap for him pretending loneliness in order to secure that invitation he was suddenly once again with jeremy everywhere and now he was no longer either silent or humble words poured from his mouth words inevitably unavoidably connected with himself and his doings his fine brave doings how he was this at home and that at home how his aunt had thought the one and his mother the other how his father had given him a pony and his cousin a dog now round every corner his besmudged face would be appearing his inky fingers protruding his voice triumphantly proclaiming i'm coming with you now cole there's an hour before prep and strangely now in spite of himself jeremy liked it he was suddenly touched by young baltimore and his dirt and his helplessness later years were to prove that jeremy cole could be always caught held and won by something misshapen abused cast out by society so now he was caught by young baltimore he did his sums for him when he could he was no great hand at sums protected him from tubby smith the bully of the lower fourth shepherded him in and out of meals took him for walks on sunday afternoons he was losing riley that hurt him desperately nevertheless he continued in his serious entirely unsentimental way to look after baltimore and was young baltimore grateful we shall see three 
one day when the summer term was about a month old a very dreary game of cricket was pursuing its slow course in third game the infants concerned in it were sleepily watching the efforts of one after another of their number to bowl corkery minimus corkery was not as cricket is considered at lords a great cricketer but he was a stolid phlegmatic youth too big for the third game and too lazy to wake up and so push forward into second he stood stolidly at his wicket making a run or two occasionally in order to poach the bowling jeremy was sitting in the pavilion his cap tilted forward over his eyes nearly asleep and praying that corkery might stay in all the afternoon and so save him from batting one of the younger masters newsome a youth fresh from cambridge was presiding over the afternoon and longing for six o'clock suddenly he heard a thin and weedy voice at his ear please sir do you think i might bowl i think i could get him out newsome pulled himself in from his dreams and gazed wearily down upon the grimy face of baltimore you he exclaimed baltimore was not beloved by the masters yes sir baltimore said his cold green eyes fixed earnestly upon newsome's face oh i suppose so newsome said wearily anything for a change had any one been watching baltimore at that moment they would have seen a curious thing a new spirit inhabited the boy's body something seemed suddenly to stiffen him his legs were no longer shambly his eyes no longer dead he was in a moment moving as though he knew his ground and as though he had first and royal right to be there of course no one noticed this there was a general titter when it was seen that baltimore had the ball in his hand corkery turned round and sniggered to the wicket-keeper and the wicket-keeper sniggered back baltimore paid no attention to anybody he ran to the wicket and delivered an underhand lob a second later corkery's bales were on the ground again had any one noticed he would have perceived that the delivery of that ball was no ordinary one that the twist of the arm as it was delivered was definite and assured and by no means accidental no one noticed anything except that corkery was at length out although he had been batting for an hour and ten minutes he had made only nine runs baltimore's next three balls took three wickets jeremy's amongst them no one was very enthusiastic about this the balls were considered sneaks and just the kind that pimply percy would bowl corkery in fact was extremely indignant and swore he would take it out of pimples in the dormitory that evening very odd was baltimore over this no sign of any feeling whatever jeremy expected that he would be full that evening of his prowess not a word jeremy himself was proud of his young friend it was as though he had possessed an ugly and stupid puppy who it was suddenly discovered could balance spoons on the end of his nose he told riley about it riley was disgusted you and your percy he said you can jolly well choose stocky it's him or me he's all right now the other fellows leave him alone why can't you drop him jeremy could not explain why but he did not want to drop him he liked having something to look after next week something more occurred 
Baltimore was pushed up into second game. It was, indeed, very necessary that he should be. Had he stayed in third game, that galaxy of all the cricketing talents would have been entirely demoralized. No one could withstand him. Wickets fell faster than ninepins. He gained no popularity for this. He was, indeed, beaten in the box-room with hairbrushes for bowling sneaks. He took his beating without a word. He seemed suddenly to have found his footing. He held up his head, occasionally washed his face, and stared superciliously about him. Jeremy now was far keener about young Baltimore's career than he had ever been about his own. Securing an afternoon off, he went and watched his friend's first appearance in second game. Knowing nothing about cricket, he was nevertheless clever enough to detect that there was something natural and even inevitable in Baltimore's cricket, not only in his bowling, but also in his fielding. He recognized it, perhaps, because it was the same with himself in football. Awkward and ill at ease as he was on the cricket field, he moved with perfect confidence in rugby, knowing at once where to go and what to do. So it was now with Baltimore. In that game he took eight wickets for eighteen runs. The school began now to talk about the new prodigy. There were, of course, two sides in the matter, many people declaring that they were sneaky, low-down balls that anybody could bowl if they were dishonest enough to do so. Others said that there was nothing low-down about it, and that young Baltimore would be in first game before he knew where he was. On his second day in second game, Baltimore took Smith Major's wicket first ball, and Smith Major had batted twice for the first eleven. After this, the great Cracky himself came and watched him. He said nothing, but next day Baltimore was down for first game. Jeremy now was bursting with pride. He tried to show Baltimore how immensely pleased he was. In a corner after tea, he talked to him. There's never been a new kid his first term in first game before. I don't think, said Jeremy, regardless of grammar. They'll play you for the second eleven, I suspect. Oh, they're sure to, said Baltimore calmly, and then they'll play me for the first. Strange that Jeremy, who hated above all things, sighed in his fellow human beings, was not repelled by this. Here, in Baltimore, was the Feu Sacré. Jeremy recognized its presence and bowed to it. Small boys are always fond of anything of which they are proud, and so Jeremy now, in spite of the green eyes, the arrogant, aloof attitude, the unpleasant personal habits, had an affection for Baltimore, the affection of the hen whose ugly duckling turns out a swan. "'You don't seem very pleased about it,' he said, looking at Baltimore curiously. "'What's there to be pleased about?' said Baltimore coldly. "'Of course, I knew I could play cricket. No one in this rotten place can play. I can bat, too, only they always put me in last.' "'Will you walk out to Polkers after dinner tomorrow?' Jeremy asked. "'All right,' said Baltimore, indifferently. Four. In the following week, Baltimore played for the second eleven, took eight wickets for twenty runs, and himself made thirty. A fortnight later, he was down on the boards in the first eleven for the lower Templeton match. 
now indeed the whole school was talking about him masters and boys alike his batting was another matter from his bowling there was no doubt at all that he was a natural cricketer mr rochester the game's master said he was the most promising cricketer that he had yet seen at thompson's remarkable style for so young a boy an extraordinarily fine eye the lower templeton match was the match of the season lower templeton was a private school some ten miles away and thompson's strongest rivals they had more boys than thompson's and two times out of three they won the cricket match they were entirely above themselves and jeered at thompson's implying that they showed the most wonderful condescension in coming over to play at all consequently there burned in the heart of every boy in thompson's yes and in the heart of every master and every servant a longing desire that the swollen-headed idiots should be beaten boys are exceedingly susceptible to atmosphere and in no time at all the first weeks of baltimore's stay at thompson's were entirely forgotten he was a new creature a marvel a miracle young corkery was heard at tea to offer him his last sardine although only a fortnight before he had belaboured his posterior with hairbrushes cracky brown took in him now a fatherly interest and inflicted on him only the lightest fagging and inquired anxiously many times a day about his health jeremy surrendered absolutely to this grammar but it was to more than mere glamour that he was surrendering he did not realize it but he had never in all his life before had any friend who had been a success his father and mother his sister mary his uncle samuel none of these could be said to be in the eyes of the world successes and at school it had been the same his best friend riley was quite undistinguished in every way and the master whom he liked best old podgy johnson was more than undistinguished he was derided it was not that he liked vulgar applause for his friend and himself enjoyed to bathe in its binding light it was quite simply that he loved his friend to be successful that it was fun for him amusing exciting and warmed him all over no longer need he feel any pity for baltimore baltimore was happy now he must be it must be confessed that baltimore showed no especial signs of being happy when the great day arrived at breakfast he accepted quite calmly the portions of potted meat marmalade sardines and pickles offered him by adoring admirers and ate them all on the same plate quite impassively after dinner jeremy and riley took their places on the grass in front of the pavilion and waited for the game to begin riley was now very submissive compelled to admit that after all jeremy had once again showed his remarkable judgment who but jeremy would have seen in baltimore on his arrival at thompson's the seeds of greatness he was forced to confess that he himself had been blind to them with their straw hats tilted over their eyes lying full length on the grass a bag of sweets between them they were as happy as thieves in strict truth jeremy's emotions were not those precisely of happiness he was too deeply excited too passionately anxious for baltimore's success to be really happy 
he could not hear the sweets crunching between his teeth for the beating of his heart what followed was what any reader of school stories would expect to follow had baltimore been precisely the handsome blue-eyed hero of one of dean farrar's epics of boyhood he could not have behaved more appropriately thompson's went in first and disaster instantly assailed them six wickets were down for ten owing to a diabolical fast bowler whom lower templeton had brought with them cracky brown was the only thompsonian who made any kind of a stand and he had no one to stay with him until baltimore came in and cracky content merely to keep up his wicket made thirty-five thompson's were all out for fifty-six lower templeton then went in and because cracky did not at once put in baltimore to bowl made thirty-four for two wickets baltimore then took the remaining eight wickets for seventeen lower templeton were all out for fifty-one the excitement during the second innings had to be seen to be believed even old thompson who was known for his imperturbable temper was seen to wipe his brow continually with a yellow handkerchief thompson's went in and four wickets fell for eleven baltimore went in at fifth wicket and made thirty-nine thompson's were all out for sixty-one and were sixty-six ahead of lower templeton this was a good lead and the hearts of thompson's beat high baltimore started well and took six of the lower templeton wickets for twenty then he obviously tired cracky took him off and lower templeton had three-quarters of an hour's pure joy as the school clock struck half-past six lower templeton had made sixty runs for eight wickets cracky then put baltimore on again and he took the remaining wickets for no runs thompson's were victorious by six runs and baltimore was carried shoulder high amongst the plaudits of the surrounding multitudes up to the school buildings five impossible to give any adequate idea of jeremy's pride and pleasure over this event he did not share in the procession up to the school but waited his time then just before chapel crossing the playground in the purple dusk he passed baltimore and another boy hello i say he stopped baltimore looked back over his shoulder jeremy could not precisely see the expression but fancied it contemptuous most curiously then for the rest of the evening he was worried and unhappy why should he worry baltimore was his friend must be after all that jeremy had done for him jeremy was too young and too unanalytical to know what it was that he wanted but in reality he longed now for that protective sense to continue he must still have something to look after there were lots of things he could do for baltimore next morning after breakfast he caught him alone ten minutes before chapel he was embarrassed and shy but he plunged in i say it was ripping yesterday weren't you glad baltimore looking at jeremy curiously shrugged his shoulders you're coming out next sunday aren't you he went on baltimore smiled i'm not going to have you following me everywhere he said in a rather feeble imitation of jeremy's voice if you behave all right and don't cry and tell me when anyone kicks you i'll let you speak to me sometimes otherwise you keep off 
he put his tongue out at jeremy and swaggered off jeremy stood there he was hurt as he had never been before in his young life he had indeed never known this kind of hurt someone came in hello stocky coming up to chapel all right he answered moving to get his books out of his locker but he'd lost something something awfully jolly he fumbled in his locker for it he wanted to cry like any kid he was crying but he wasn't going to let stokey see it he found an old fragment of licorice stick it mingles in his mouth with the salt taste of tears so dragging his head from his locker he kicked stokey in amicable friendship and they departed chapel words tumbling over one another puppy-wise as they went but no more miserable boys sat in chapel that morning six two days later turning the corner of the playground he heard shrill crying looking farther he perceived baltimore twisting the arms of a miniature boy the smallest boy in the school brown minimus he was also kicking him in tender places now will you give it me he was saying a second later baltimore was in his turn having his arm twisted and his posterior kicked as jeremy kicked and twisted he felt a strange a mysterious pleasure baltimore tried to bite then he said i'll tell thompson i don't care if you do said jeremy yes he felt a strange wild pleasure but when that afternoon old thompson genially said well cole i think baltimore's found his feet now all right hasn't he jeremy said uh, yes sir he has he felt miserable he sat down and kicked the turf furiously with his toes he had lost something he knew not what something very precious someone called him and he went off to join in a rag anyway tom brown was a rotten book End of chapter seven